Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Hope Church Long Island. Uh, happy five-year anniversary. Oh, man, we are so excited for what God has, is doing, has been doing. And uh, as you can tell, I got, we got our Hope Church, Hope Church uh, 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 hoodie here with a five-year. We, we made it thus far, and I know God has some great things in store for us in the next coming five years as well. I want to thank everybody who's been journeying with us um, on this church plant, and uh, I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. We're going to just dive into the Word of God this morning. Um, if we could just pray for a moment, and then I'll continue. Father, I just uh, thank you for this time, Lord God. I, I just, uh, I'm so grateful this morning, Lord, just uh, with so much emotions, Lord, and just trying to control my emotions, Father. Lord, I, I come to you, Lord, just very grateful for five years. Very grateful, Lord, for all that you have done. Lives being changed and transformed. Um, baptisms, Lord. Uh, I'm grateful for every person, Lord, that's been journeying with us. Father, I pray for this time right now as we dive into the word. Lord, I pray that you will just bless it, Lord, and you will touch hearts. And Lord, I just get out of the way, Father. Um, would you just have your way? It's in Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, we are uh, continuing our series uh, on, on heroes. And uh, last we left at the children of Israel, they were parked in a period of history uh, called the time of the judges. It was a 300-year window um, of history where they didn't have any kind of king and there was no rulers as well. And the people did what was uh, right in their own eyes. And that we were saying last week, that is a phrase uh, that occurs over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges. And so what we're going to do this morning today is we're going to just uh, dive right into the story. Uh, this story takes place um, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, this story is about a woman named Ruth. Can you do me a favor? Can you say Ruth? And if you know the book of Ruth, uh, you know that basically Ruth is a comeback story. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Anybody here likes a good comeback story? I, I got to tell you, like, I'm a sucker for comeback stories, okay? I mean, like, so, some of you guys, maybe your life is a comeback story, and that's awesome. You see, this book right here, the book of Ruth, is a comeback story, and so this makes good for, you know, this makes good movie material right here. Like, anybody ever seen the movie, uh, movie Rocky? Like, love that movie. Rocky, Rocky fans are like, yeah, like, th that is a comeback story, right? And then, you know, you got other movies as well, like Rudy, uh, The Pursuit of Happiness, The Karate Kid, Braveheart, uh, Slumdog Millionaire, um, also Bad News Bears. I don't know if you guys remember Bad News Bears. These are all great comeback stories. These stories are all similar. They are all comeback stories. And it, and it, it has this very similar um, story arc, all right? All throughout these films, these characters, their names are different, and, and the details differ, but, but basically, you have this protagonist, who is the main character, who is going through some really, really difficult things, going through some challenges, and they overcome those challenges by some incredible odds, and they go through this long story arc, and at the end, they are triumphant. And uh, what happens is somewhere in the middle of this two-hour movie, you get all caught up in it, 
and you really start caring about these characters that you're watching. And by the time that the credits are rolling at the end, you're just like, yeah, Rocky, yes, and you're all excited and you're all into it because you are all into these characters. And so the story of Ruth is an amazing comeback story. This woman goes through some really, really incredible stuff. I'm talking about some really difficult things that she goes through. And in the middle of her story arc, we pick up some pretty powerful life lessons here, um, you know, for those, for how to handle tragedy, for how to handle difficulty. And so we're going to dive right in, in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. This is the reading of the Lord. It's, it goes... It says this, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and uh, went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But then ten years later, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons and or her husband. So uh, let's talk about what happened here, right? Uh, we've got a couple, right? We got Elimelech and Naomi. Uh, they are from Israel, so they are part of the bloodline. They're part of the group within the group that we were talking about. They are part of God's chosen people. But what happens is there, there's a famine in the city where they live. And so what they do is they decide to go to Israel, where this is a distant country to escape the famine. And they take two of their sons with uh, them. And so this couple brings their two sons to a country called Moab. Can you do me a favor? Can you say Moab? Moab is a, a neighboring country. In Moab, they speak different languages. They worship other gods. It is a totally different culture. But there's, there's no famine there in Moab. And so they are able to make a living there. And while they're living there, their two sons marry Moabite women. So they marry women who are not part of the promise. They marry women who are not part of the fold. They marry women who are not part of the group within the group. They, they are not part of the bloodline of Jesus Christ. Not a part of it. Not children of the promise. Right? So this is like, this is all out of, bound, out of boundaries here. But, you know, but we cut them some slack, right? Because that's where, they, that's where they live now. And so what we see pretty quickly is that this group of people are now uh, six people who are living in uh, Moab. Elimelech and his wife Naomi, right? You got their two sons, and you got their, the wives of the two sons. 
And so it's uh, three couples, right? You got three couples. The parental couple, you got two sons, and you got their wives. And the six of them have presumably, they have a pretty good life. They have a pretty happy life in Moab. And they, what they do, they find some land, and they are working on the farm, and they make a living for themselves until they are visited with death. Visited by death. Death. Death hits that family like a freight train. And in a very short period of time, Elimelech dies and both of his sons die as well. And now these three women are just left alone and the family is just absolutely, this family gets just hit by a train. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like your, my family has been hit by a train? It's been a freight train that came and hit my family. And, and it's one thing when you hear about somebody else, right? Like, oh, you know, once in a while you'll hear or, or something happened to this particular person or something happened to that person. You know, that person got cancer and that pers- or that person died or, or something awful happened to that family and we go, oh, man, that's, that's terrible, right? That is terrible. And we feel compassion. And, and, and if you're a compassionate person, you feel sympathy. And if you're really, really compassionate, you feel empathy. And if you're really, really, really compassionate, uh, you get a card or you bake a cake or, or you do something, right? You do something to say, hey, like, we're, we're thinking about you. We're thinking about you. And generally, after that, what happens is you just kind of go back to life. You go back to life. But the thing is, it's a whole other matter when that freight train hits your family, right? It's a whole other matter when, that, when, the, when the family that experiences the challenges is you. Your family gets hit by death. It's a whole other matter when your family is the one that is being touched by this. And, and you, you who just been hit by this train, you're, you're having to get up. Your rings are just, your ears are just still ringing from the hit. There's blood, there's injury, and you don't know what's going to happen next, right? You don't know which way to get up, and you, and you can't figure out what normal even is going to look like. And that is what happens to these guys. They get hit by a train, and now they have no way in figuring out what normal even looks like. And I know you're, you're already thinking, okay, well, th- that's maybe where the comeback story comes in, like right here, right? You got these three ladies, their husband dies, the two sons die, so it's just three girls right now, three girls. And maybe, yeah, I know, maybe they open up a business, maybe they open up a coffee shop, right? And it's like, I don't know, it's like, sister, like the sisterhood of the traveling pants, right? Like this is a cool girl movie right now, what's going on. And, and they'll, they'll star in it, and there's going to be a nice soundtrack at the end. And you can imagine, like you and I can imagine this being the comeback story at this particular moment. But that's not how it plays out. You see, in this culture, in this day and age, these three women are not, they cannot go and start a coffee shop. 
They cannot go and do that. They can't go and start a business and live on their own and survive. Regrettably, in this particular culture, women just don't do things like that. They must be provided for by a man. And so these women, uh, they are in this foreign country and they are in real trouble. And they have to figure out what normal even looks like. And that's what occurs when this happens, right? Like in your life, when you get hit by a train, when, when, when death touches somebody in your world, what quickly, what, you come to this quick idea, right? That this idea that life is never going to be the same again, right? That the life you knew is not going to be the same. It's going to be gone, that life that you knew. And now you have to start over. You have to discover what normal even looks like. Right? You have to do that all over. And, and the thing is, starting over can be great. Right? It can be great when it's on your terms. If it's on your terms, it can be great. Right? And once in a while, it's on your terms. Like, like you take a job. Okay? You take a job in a different city, and you, go, and you say, yeah, I'm going to start a new beginning. Or that, you know, unfortunately, that, that relationship ends Right? And, and, and you're like, all right, fine, you know, like that was complicated, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a new beginning now. Or maybe you didn't like how you were in high school, and so you go to college out of state, and you say, I'm going to make a new beginning right now. And, you know, those are all restarts, right? They are on your terms. But, man, like when you have to press reset on your terms, and when life just hands that to you, there is just nothing, right? Nothing that is more difficult when it's not on your terms. That's so challenging, and that's where these ladies are. That's what's going on with these ladies. They are in this horrible place, and they have to start all over again. And so this is what occurs in uh, verse 6 through 10 and 14 through 18. This is what it says. It reads like this, verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter, daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughter and daughters-in-law, and she set out from the place where she had been living. And they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with, we want to go with you to your people. Verse 14, and again, they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth, uh, Ruth uh, holding on, clung on tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, "Don't ask me to leave and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die." And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. 
When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. All right, so uh, now they're traveling back. Now, um, did you catch the town that Naomi was from? Uh, she's from? She's from Bethlehem of Judah. So Elimelech and Naomi, they are from Bethlehem, okay? Now, if you've been with us uh, in the beginning of the series, you know that the Bible contains uh, a lot of foreshadowing that we were talking about, that the 66 books of the Bible, they are separate works of literature, um, and many of them are written by different authors, but they are all interconnected. They are part of this beautiful mosaic, this grand tapestry that God is just spinning. It is all connected. And if you have been uh, trekking with us, uh, you've seen that stuff, and you know that when you hear the word Bethlehem, and when you hear that name, that probably means something there. And if you're thinking that, well, you're right, right? You are right. So Bethlehem, if you ever driven by a church during Christmas time, you know that Bethlehem was the town that Jesus Christ was born. And so right away, when you read that, something in you goes, well, that's interesting. What's going on there? And so what happens is they leave Bethlehem because there's a famine, and they live in Moab. They are now in Moab. Naomi, remember, remember, Naomi is not from Moab. Naomi is from Bethlehem, okay? Naomi's two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, they are from Moab, all right? And so now they decided, well, we're, we're going to go back to Bethlehem. All right, we're going to go back. The famine has been lifted. The whole, the whole reason that we had to leave in the first place is gone. So we're going to go back. It's time to go back. And so these three women are just, you know, they're on the road. And about halfway from Moab to Bethlehem, you know what happens? Naomi just stops. She just stops on the road. And Naomi goes, all right, ladies, all right. All right, girls. Like, this, this is ridiculous, okay? You have nothing Right, there's nothing for you in Bethlehem. Like, I don't have any more sons for you. Like, this isn't going to work. Like, I mean, I don't even know what kind of life I'm going to have. I can't provide for you. Right, what you need to do, girls, go back to your families. Stay in the land where you know people, right? You know everyone there, right? Go to the place that is familiar to you. I release you. Go. Like, I formally release you from the obligations that you may have. Please go. Just go. And Or Orpa, Orpa kind of goes, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like, thanks, Mom. Take care. Uh, I'll write. Peace out. I'll visit. Kiss. Peace. Like, and she's out. She's gone. And that's what happens. And the thing is, you can't blame Orpa, right? You can't blame her because what Orpa says in that moment, it actually makes a lot of sense what Orpah does. But Ruth, Ruth does something pretty radical. Ruth does something pretty incredible, very unusual what she does. Ruth decides that even in her pain, she is going to try to take care of somebody else. Ruth decides that even though she is in pain herself, she is going to find a way to be a blessing to somebody else. And so just so that we are clear, right, so that we fully understand the decision that she had to make here, okay, let me just say this. Listen, Ruth has been given clearance. 
right? The obligation has been released. She doesn't any longer have to stay. And you know, like, that feeling like I probably should stay because that's my mother-in-law, so I, I should stay, right? That feeling is gone. Like, she's free to go back to her own land, to go back to her city, to, to the roads that she knows, to the people that she knows, to the community that is around her. And presumably, there's some family there that can take care of Ruth. Or what she can do is she can go the other routes, right? She can go to a distant country and spend the rest of her life alone with her Jewish mother-in-law, right? Like, that's a no-brainer. Like, you know what you would do during that time, right? Like, everybody reading this text knows that she should just really turn around, Turn around, Ruth. Go back to your country. And the thing is, that's, that's not what she does. She doesn't do that. And what's happening here is interesting, right? Because Ruth seems to understand something that many of the key characters uh, throughout the biblical narrative that we've been talking about seems to understand. She seems to understand that the story is about something more than her. And she teaches us something pretty profound. All right, she, this is the teaching point, teaching point number one for today. That is, when you are in pain, when the freight train hits your life, that the very best thing that you can do in that moment is try to find somebody else to be a blessing to in that moment. You see, there is nothing more effective at helping you through your difficulties than helping somebody else through theirs. It's the truth, right? And the thing is, it feel like it, it just does not feel natural to do that. What Ruth does would be uncommon in any circumstances, even in the best of circumstances. To do something unselfish would be just so, so radical. And it would be even more remarkable given the fact that Ruth is, she's in pain herself and she's doing this. It's remarkable because, it's remarkable because, you know why? Because pain focuses you on you, right? That's what pain does. It focuses you on you. Like, let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever had a stub on your toe? Like, you ever stub your toe? You stub your toe, and the last thing you want to do right then is get a sandwich for somebody else. Okay? You stub your toe, and you're like, whoa, ah, I'm in pain. Like, ah. And when you're injured, when you're hurt, what happens in that moment is that you focus on you. Pain has a way of focusing you on you. And so what happens is when you're injured, when something happens to you, when your families, uh, when, when, the, when your families are the one that is being hit by the train, the, that pain focuses you on you, you focus on the pain, the pain focuses you on you, you focus on the pain, the pain focuses you on you, you focus on the pain, and it just becomes a spiral. And every single one of us, right, every single one of us probably knows somebody that, is, that was injured or had something uh, injured and something happened to them and uh, they have never gotten over it, right? They still are just caught up in this run cycle and they just can't get over it. They, they just keep 
you know, what they do is they, they just keep picking at that scab, right? They pick that scab open every single day and they revisit it and they focus on that pain. They focus on that pain. And what they need and what they need most desperately in this world is the ability to, to pick their heads up and to focus in that moment on somebody else's needs. And that's the thing when you're in pain, right? When you are in agony, it doesn't feel natural to do something like that. But if you can find a way in your difficulty, if you can find a way when your ears are ringing, when you are injured and you're bleeding and everything is still fresh, when you can find a way to say, I'm not going to make this moment about me, but I'm going to be a blessing to somebody else in this moment. And you will be amazed at what it does to your pain level. You will just be stunned at your ability to cope with that situation, right? It just goes up when you look to be a blessing to somebody else. And what Ruth does here is remarkable, what she does. So Ruth decides, no, I'm going to go with Naomi. And so what they do is they ride into Bethlehem. And here's what happens. Now, things are just going to get interesting here, okay? Let's go to verse 19. This is what it says. So the two of them continue on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is that really Naomi? The woman asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life bitter for me. I went full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such a tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth and the young, Moabi the young Moabite woman. And, a, and a, they, they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right, so they pull up to Bethlehem and now... Um, she has one daughter-in-law instead of two that is with her. They walk back into town, right? And these women come up to her and they're like, hey, Naomi, hey, girl, how you doing? Long time no see. You aged well. How you doing? And, and, and Naomi gets a little bit melodramatic here. What does she do? They go, hey, Naomi, how you doing? And she goes, that's not my name. All right, she's like, don't call me that anymore. Like, call me Mara, for God has made my life bitter, right? Now, is that a little bit melodramatic? It is, right? It is. Is that a little bit over the top? It is, right? Does she mean it? No, she doesn't mean it, right? She's, she's actually referred to Naomi throughout the rest of the book. Like, nobody calls her Mara even after that. Like, her name is Naomi. It just didn't stick, all right? Sorry, Naomi. just didn't stick. But... You understand what's going on because this woman, she is in pain. She's in pain. And you'll find out, if you try this, you'll find out quickly what happens, right? She's melodramatic and what she's lashing out. Isn't she lashing out right here? You see, when people are in pain, they lash out. Have you ever seen that before? Like, have you ever tried this 
right? You can learn that it's so amazing what Ruth does here. That's why it's so incredible what she does, because you know, and I know, when you, like, give, let me give you an example. When you try to rescue an animal from a trap, okay, if that animal has its foot uh, caught in a trap, and, and, you, and, and there's a, that animal is near you, you're going to get bit if you try to help that animal, right? It doesn't matter that you want to help that animal. It doesn't matter that you want to free that animal. You get near that animal, you will get bit by that animal because that animal doesn't understand. It's in too much pain to get it, to understand it. And the thing is, people are like that too. You try to get near somebody when they are in pain, and you're going to get bit. You just, we're just going to have to go with this understanding when we go in. And so that's what Ruth does. She goes in, and Naomi is all melodramatic. She is all over the top, and she is just lashing out at people. And what does Ruth do? Ruth just stands right by her. And Ruth, and Ruth goes, that's okay. Right? She goes, that's okay. I'm with you. I'm standing with you. And, and she reminds herself time after time. She is always just reminding herself there, hey, I, lo I lost my husband, right? And that hurts. But she lost her husband and she lost her two sons as well, right? I'm going to stand by her. And that's a beautiful picture, right? How beautiful of a picture is that? And the other thing that is going on in this story is that she takes a huge risk, right? The second teaching part for today is that you're going to take a few risks in your life, right? You're going to take a few risks. I know, like, some people hear that and they don't want to hear that, but, um, but life is risk, isn't it? I know, um, you know, making some people kind of uncomfortable, like, what do you mean by risk? What are you, what are you trying to say? I know some, some people are just very risk averse, and some people, you know, there's like this curve, right? There's, 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 there's that bell curve, that arc that's there. Some people love to take risks. Some people are risk averse. But the thing is, we all take risks every day. Right, let me give you an example. Like every time you get in a car, it's risky, right? You drive in New York, hello, it's risky to drive in New York. It is, I'm just saying, right? Everything you do, there's risks there. Life is risk. There's risks involved in every single decision that you and I make, right? And so you're going to have to take risks sometime. So how about you take a risk for God? How about you take risks for God? Would you do that? And that's what Ruth does here. Ruth worships other gods. Ruth was from Moab, okay? These are not Israelites. These are pagan gods that she is worshiping. But on the road to Bethlehem, she says to Naomi, this is what she says, your land will be my land, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Right. She uses the Hebrew word for God. She uses the Hebrew word for Yahweh there, for Jehovah, for the I am, the God who self-identifies to us of the Lord of everything. And Ruth sees something in this particular religion. Ruth sees something, this idea of a God who wants intimacy to her, with his people is mind-blowing to her. Mind-blowing. 
right? Because she, because the, the pagan gods in her town, the pagan gods in her city have never, never done for her a bit of good. And, and her gods have been silent because they don't exist. So now she's learning about the God that is real, right? That wants to interact with his people. And she is woken up by this. And she takes on an, an enormous risk here an enormous risk. She has no idea how life is going to be in this new place. She has no clue how life is going to look like because of this decision that she's made. And she goes, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to ride this out. I'm going to ride this out. And sometimes God calls you and I to obey him and it feels risky, doesn't it? feels very risky. Sometimes God says, I want you to start something, or God says, I want you to stop something, or God says, I want to just nudge you in some way. And our initial response to that is always, ooh, that's, that's risky, God. I don't know about that, God. Yeah, if I do that, I might be embarrassed. Yeah, if I do that, it could hurt me financially. Yeah, if I do that, I might end up alone. Yeah, if I do that, something bad is going to happen to me, God. I'm not sure. And I think for most of us, when we are a little panicky, when we panic about the risky things are getting when we obey God, I actually think that's right where God wants us to be. And so what happens next in the story is they get to Bethlehem, right? And they, they, and they begin this new life. And what they have to do is, what they have to do is they have to glean from the fields, okay, of the wealthy landowners to get their living. Now, gleaning um, is a practice. It is a practice that is still implemented in many countries around the world today as well. So gleaning is a practice whereby a wealthy landowner, uh, when they're harvesting their field, leaves a little something behind for the poor. And so when they're harvesting uh, wheat, or in this particular case, they're harvesting barley, uh, you walk into the field, you're, you're taking it in, you're handpicking it, you are putting it in a basket, and there's going to be some of it that kind of fall to the ground and gets you know, left on the broken uh, stalk. And the uh, truly greedy person in that day would go back and just pick up every little thing and collect it. And what they would do is they would try to sell it. But what was done in this time, and again, in many countries in the world is, is this, is that people who own the land would leave a little something on the ground or on the vine for the poor. And so after the paid harvesters moved through people who were gleaning, uh, what would come uh, through after with a basket or with a cup, and they would come and they would pick what was left over. And they would try to exist on their meager sustenance that they could find here from the gleaning of the wealthy landowner's land. And so, listen, Ruth is in bad shape. Right? She's in bad shape here because not only is Ruth poor, but Ruth has to glean. She's an outsider, she is not from Israel. She's from Moab. And so if she speaks Hebrew, she speaks it with a thick accent. 
And so everybody knows that she's an outsider. Everybody knows that she does not belong there. So Ruth would be in a position here if she had to glean for her food to make a living, right? She would be gleaning off of what everyone else that was gleaning has left behind because she was an outsider. There would be no guarantee for her protection. And it was really sort of just a, a tough way, really tough way to make a start. And so she gets, she goes to the field and of a man by the name of Boaz. And here's what we find. Chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. It reads like this. Boaz went over, to, uh, went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working on my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the, Lord of God, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. So this woman, right, who is a total outsider, who doesn't deserve any kind of special treatment, she is welcomed. And she falls to the ground and she says, you know, why would, be, why would you be so good to me? Why? And he goes, you know, yeah, you know, you are an outsider. Like, you are from Moab. I know that. But I heard. I heard what you did for Na Naomi. I heard what you did for Naomi. I mean, how cool is that? That's so cool. Boaz sees something in Ruth. He is drawn to her, her. Boaz sees something in this woman, and he is drawn to her. And the story continues as you suspect that it might. And what happens next is that we learn that in the story of Ruth, right, in the story of Ruth, about to practice, they have a practice called redeemership. Elimelech, who is Ruth's father-in-law, left Bethlehem because of a famine. You see, Elimelech, he owned land in Bethlehem. Right? He left that land because a famine came and made it impossible for the land to yield anything. But now the famine has been lifted, and now they're able to go back. Regrettably, though, in that day and age, when a man dies, his wife just does not inherit the farm. She doesn't get that. The, these three women are, aren't just going to go back to the land and start working on the land, as, uh, again, as women. They, let, they, they needed a, rede a redeemer. They needed to be redeemed by a male re relative. And so what happened was anyone who was related to Elimelech, whether it was you know, his brothers or his cousins or his distant cousins or whoever it was could redeem the land. And you had to be related to Elimelech to be part of this bidding process to redeem the land. However, if you redeem the land, you marry all the women that is attached to it. So it's not just, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bid for this land and get some land for myself. No, you now, you are responsible for all the women. 
attached to that estate. So they, you know, they now become under your protection. They can become your wives. And, and if you have offspring with them, or your children with those women would potentially compete with each other for to become the legitimate heirs for in, inheritance ship when you passed away, right? And so this was not something that was done here. And what Ruth and Naomi, what they needed was they needed a kinsman redeemer. That's what they needed and as it happened, Boaz is a distant relative of Elimelech. And so he decides, not only do I want to redeem this land, but I fall in love with this girl. And he pays the price. He jumps through all the legal hoops, and he does all the stuff necessary to become her husband. And Ruth, the Moabite woman, the woman from another country, the woman who spent her life worshiping other gods, the woman whose only identity in Israel is to be an outsider, suddenly becomes part of the family. Right? Ruth, she is welcomed in. She is redeemed. And in her redemption, in her redemption, we find our own. Because every single one of us, every one of us knows what it feels like to be an outsider. Every single one of us knows what it feels like. And I think that maybe, you know, maybe God doesn't want anything to do with us or that maybe there's no place for us among the holy people. And maybe there's no place for us in the church, right? Like, like, why would I even come to church, right? And some of you have said that to me, right? You, you, you said you walk in here and you feel like the, this place is going to fall down because you walked in, right? Because you feel, you feel heavy. And Naomi and Ruth's story, we find our own redemption in that. How do we find that? This is how we find that. Boaz and Ruth got married and they have a son, and his name is Obed. Obed has a son, and his name is Jesse. Jesse has a son, and his name is King David. David. What is the town that she's from again? Bethlehem, the city of David. Ruth, the outsider because of her willingness to put the needs of another above her own in a moment of crisis becomes the great, great grandmother of King David. And more importantly than that, the, this outsider joins the bloodline. She is on the list of descendancy behind Jesus Christ. And in her story, we find the first inclinings of this idea that the restoration of intimacy is not just for God's chosen people, the people of Israel, but it is for everybody. It is for you and I. Everybody is invited to this.